you know, we get very excited about crowds because crowds reveal a lot. Crowds reveal kind of social thought, you know, what a group of people think and what they prefer, what they're cheering for, what they like. And crowds are exciting. I, my family on 4th of July wanted to go downtown to see the fireworks and I had zero interest in that. But I went and it was actually pretty fun. We were able to navigate downtown, find a good parking place, see it. You know, downtown swells with several hundred thousand new people and, and it worked out okay. It was fun, it was exciting, it was good to be a part of. So that can be true about crowds. So I don't wanna pick on crowds and just, you know, belittle them because I enjoy being in big crowds sometimes also. But I also know this, is that some of the loneliest places I've been, and if you think about it, some of the loneliest places you've been have been right in the middle of a big crowd. That's why Jesus avoided crowds, really. When people discovered his power, the son of God, they were following him everywhere. But Jesus preferred Solitude and community over a crowd and only used a crowd to funnel people into things that were more meaningful. Today, we're going to finish Mark chapter 10. We've been going verse by verse uh, since Labor Day and we kind of move in and out of the book of Mark. So this will be the last message in the book of Mark and I'm titling this message, Jesus in the Crowd because Jesus moves in the crowd and I think you will see some parallels from your life on, on how Jesus is speaking to you, even when you're in the crowd. A few decades ago, when China was very restrictive, it's still restrictive to this day, but it was very mysterious at this time, and there was much about China people did not know. A Christian missionary was traveling, and he came across a temple. And inside this temple, he noticed that the people there were worshiping, or at least acting, in a very odd way. It wasn't very reverent. It wasn't um, you know, very what we would consider holy as they worship this man-made idol. In fact, what they were doing was this. They were taking little strips of paper that they had written on and they were wadding the pieces of paper up in a ball, rolling them in mud and throwing them at the idol. Now, this sounds kind of like our children's ministry, doesn't it? Take a spit wad and chunk it. So they're rolling these into the idol, chunking it at an idol and, excuse me, rolling this in the mud and chunking it at an idol. And as he began to investigate, he discovered something. That these people, as they were praying, they would write the request on a little scrap piece of paper, roll it up in the mud, throw it at the idols. And the ones that stuck meant the prayer would be answered. And the ones who dropped meant God was not listening. What? What a difficult way to live, huh? It's a primitive thought process. And we chuckle this morning. We, we think, I mean, how could they think that, right? But some of us, not fully understanding our relationship with God, think that prayer is that fragile also. It may happen, it may not. God may hear me, he may not. We've been singing and praying and declaring today about a very particular God who's active, involved, and who wants to be part of our lives. 
We're going to look at a passage today and a story that we're going to see this act of God. I want us to go to Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 46. It says, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a large crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazarene, he began to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. Many people told him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more. Have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. And he threw off his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, the blind man told him, I want to see. Go your way, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he could see and begin to follow him on the road. Here was Jesus was in the middle of this crowd. This crowd was pursuing Jesus. This crowd was following Jesus. So you can imagine all the different dynamics that were there. But here's the first observation I want you to see. Jesus hears you. Jesus hears you. Jesus hears you in the crowd. Like I already mentioned, sometimes we can feel very lonely in the crowd. We can feel very anonymous in the, in the crowd. But one of the things Jesus introduced to the world is this idea of an individual relationship with him. Still to this day, in many cultures, religion is imposed on people by their birth. Whatever country you're born in, you have to be that particular religion. This is especially true in the Muslim world. Muslims don't necessarily have a conversion as much as being born in certain countries makes them a Muslim already. Now, some could argue that being born in the South makes you a Baptist or a Pentecostal or being born in the North makes you a Presbyterian in America's past. That's certainly not the truth. Because even though we have cultural forces that influence us, we know that following Christ is an individual choice. Theologically now, let me just be clear, I believe we're chosen by God and we respond to him. But if we're studying this, from a sociological standpoint, we choose a religion. It's not imposed by us by the government. It's not imposed by us through economic means. We're supposed to choose our religion. And we're supposed to choose what we, who we want to follow. And this is so clear in the scripture. Because in the middle of the crowd, Jesus calls, excuse me, Jesus hears the voice. Jesus hears the voice of the man, Bartimaeus, who's calling out for him. I want you to notice in verse 48 again. It said, many people told him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Do you know some of the needs in your life, others around you will minimize. They'll say, don't, don't bother God. It's not that big of a deal. There may be an issue that you're dealing with that you feel very conflicted on. There's an issue that you're dealing with that you're having a very difficult time. And here's what makes it even more difficult. It could be, and probably has been in the past, that people who are closest to you don't even understand what you're dealing with. Even your own spouse or your parent or your child have no way of understanding what 
you're going through. And there's a cry within you, God, I need your help. And I've got to have your help. And people are saying, hey, don't bother Jesus. Don't bother Jesus. Just keep quiet. Keep quiet. I love the fact that in the middle of this crowd, Jesus heard Bartimaeus. And he heard the cry. I want you to be encouraged today that Jesus hears your cry. In fact, he hears the cries you don't even articulate yet. The scripture tells us Jesus himself said that he knows the numbers of hairs that are on our head. So he knows the detail of our life. He he knows the inner conflict. He knows the habitual sin that we haven't been able to conquer. He knows those random thoughts that come and we think, oh, how could those have come into my life? He knows those internal emotional conflicts. And in many ways, even though this particular passage is talking about a physical handicap, I think we all, if we're really honest, we discover that there are handicaps in our lives that cause us to be wounded. It causes us to not be mobile. It causes us to be less than who we want to be. And Jesus knows those and sees those and he hears us when we call out for him. But one of the problems is, is sometimes we don't get around to crying out for Jesus. We try to fix the problem ourselves. We try to rely on our own understanding. We try to rely on other gifts that God has given us as our primary means of healing or means of solution. I thank God for doctors. I thank God for the pharmaceutical industry that provides medicines that help us. And those are all gifts from God when used appropriately. Therapists can be very helpful. And I've used all of those before, doctors, therapists, medicine, and the Lord has used those to bring about healings and different things in my life, small and big. But the source of my healing is always God. And the problem is, is we wait until we've tried the medicine, we've tried the doctors, we've tried the therapists, we've tried the self-help, we've tried the motivational books, and we've never cried out to God. Can I just encourage you, start with him. Cry out to God. I love that phrase about crying out to God that Bartimaeus is an example to us because it's something that comes deep from within us. I mean, there's something deep within us that's reactionary. If you're driving down I-65, this happened to me just this month and someone pulls right in front of me and there was a wreck and there was high potential for me to be in a wreck. There was high potential for me to run into that cement um, wall that divides the highway right now. How many know that at that time, I didn't have time to logically choose my words and say, how will I react right now? What words could I choose to say something appropriate as I'm about to get smashed into this wall? Now, what did I say? None of your business, what I said. (laughs) The point is this, is there was a reaction. There was a cry. There's a cry out. Actually, I was on the phone with Beth, so you can tell me later what I said. I'm not sure. But I cried out. I cried out in a reaction. And and this is what Bartimaeus did. I mean, this was his chance. The crowd was passing by, and Jesus was passing by. He may never get a chance to encounter Jesus the Nazarene again. It's time for action. It's a cry from the heart. It's an acknowledgement. It's a just kind of getting this out. Have mercy on me, God. And this is where God wants us to start, where we're crying out to the Lord in dependency. Romans chapter eight, you can read it later. It talks about these types of prayers that we have that are like groans, that words don't even articulate them. It's like an ache, it's like a longing. It's like a groan that says, oh God, help me. 
And God hears even the prayers we can't articulate with words. He wants there to be a cry. Look at Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 1. I love this. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me. Here's the key phrase I want you to see. And heard my cry for help. How many know that sometimes we need to just have an attitude with God that says, help. I mean, God, I don't have a fancy, articulated, articulate textbook type of prayer. I'm just crying out for help. And yes, that can be a verbal cry. It really can. And it can be a posture of our attitude and spirit that says, God, I just want your help. I want your help. Well, going on, the scripture says in verse two, he brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Is that not a good place to say amen? See, what happened is it all started with the cry. God came through, put a new song, touch people's life, but go on, go back to verse one or verse two, the first, first verse I had up there. Verse one, yeah, that would be right. I waited and he turned to me and he heard my cry for help. Aren't you glad we have a God who hears us in the middle of the crowd? We don't have to take these mud balls of prayer requests and hope they stick to the idol. We don't get lost in the crowd. God is personal. He's involved. He cares about the details of your life. You know, even in a mid-sized church like us, let's say, you know, there, there's probably 120 to 150 people in this room today. Even in a smaller room like this, in a smaller environment like this, as opposed to like the football stadium or something like that, even here, we can incorrectly feel overlooked. We can incorrectly think, ah, oh, this sermon's not gonna be for me today, or this church isn't my style, or maybe guys, we incorrectly think, well, religion is you know, for the ladies and it's for the kids, and I'm just here to support. And, and we get lost in the crowd, and Jesus is calling you individually. He, he hears the cry of your heart. He hears you. He hears your deepest needs, your aches, the things you long for, the things that are in your heart. We, got, we have a God who hears us. And I thank God for him. I thank God for God, right? That makes sense? That's what we do. We gotta thank God for God. My sophomore year in high school, uh, we had a really good football team, the school I attended. And so I played JV, but I was a backup on the varsity. Played middle linebacker. I was actually very small back then for that position. And I was a backup to one of the best middle linebackers in the state. This guy ended up playing for the University of Texas. That sounds really impressive, but to say I was second string to this middle linebacker in, in actuality was not impressive because I never got to play. If he needed a rest or if he got hurt, they would shift the players around. So I never got to see varsity time at all. But like I said, they were a good team. So they made the playoffs. We made the playoffs. Get to play at Texas Stadium where the Cowboys play. And I was so important to the team that, you know, throughout the season, we would play without our names on the jersey, but for the playoffs, we got to get names on the back of our jersey. I was so important to the team that everyone got their name on the jersey, but the manager forgot that I was on the team. 
So while everybody had the name on the back of the jersey, I had this big blank back there, which was no big deal because I wasn't going to get to play anyway. So uh, I was at the game, Texas Stadium, biggest stadium we ever played in, biggest crowd. And we were playing, I was from Irving, we were playing Arlington. Edgar, that'll mean something to him. It was actually MacArthur and we're playing Lamar because Edgar's from my hometown. And um, I knew a couple of families, not many, from the opposing team. But one of the dads who knew me as a child for the opposing team, and he was kind of this loud mouth, kind of fun guy, but uh, he saw that was down there and knew I was down there. And so we're having warm-ups. Again, remember, I'm the guy that doesn't get to play, that doesn't even have my name on the jersey, the only one. And I hear from the opposing team, Aaron! And so this guy's screaming out my name, so I'm going to ignore him, you know. So I'm going through the warm-ups, and, and I, I, I see him, and I think, oh, that's one of my friend's dads. I'm going to try to ignore him. But he kept going. He wanted me to acknowledge that he was in the middle of the stadium. Aaron! So I ignore him. So then he starts getting people around him, to his family and others. And so they're like, Aaron! The guy who was really good, we're going through warm-ups, and he, like, looks at me very bewildered and said, are they, like, calling your name out right now? Like, how is this possible? So they were getting louder and I was getting more embarrassed and I'm going through the warm-up drill. So I finally kind of do this thing. I kind of do like an acknowledgement like that. And they all start cheering in that whole section right there. They were laughing, having a great time. I was humiliated, you know? It reminds me that, you know, even in a big stadium like that and some of the biggest crowds that you've ever been in, in the right environment, you can hear the voice of someone who calls for you, especially if you're familiar with who they are. The more familiar you are, you are with their voice, the more you know they're calling for you. I remember as a kid being in Chuck E. Cheese hearing, dad, 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 from dozens of kids. But if I heard it from this guy right here, I would know it was him because I, I recognize his tone. I recognize his voice. This is something that I want you to hear in this scripture. Jesus not only hears you, but Jesus calls you. Here's the second part. Jesus calls you. Look at Verse 49, I love this. Jesus stopped. He stopped, why? Because he heard him. He stopped because he heard him. And then he said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up. He's calling for you. Isn't that beautiful to know that God is calling you? He's calling me, he's calling us, but he's calling you in particular. God is calling you. He has a call on every life in here. Every single person has a distinct call from the Lord. That's one of the many, many gifts Jesus has given to us. Religion is about community, and that's why we gather for church, but it's also about individual expression. It's about this ability to discern God's call on your life. And that's a very perplexing thing for us. I know that we're stressed out about God's call. We're trying to figure out what's my next job, where should I live, issues regarding the kids, issue regarding our financial future, issues, as I already mentioned, regarding employment are huge issues. Big decisions are going to determine our future. And there's a lot of stress about that. You know, what's God's will? What's God's will for me? And, you know, there's that that's a permissible will of God. It's God's will that we kind of try to figure out, you know, if it's, what's God's will for our family? What's God's will for our marriage? What's God's will for my occupation? 
But one thing we overlook is the revealed will of God. Because the revealed will of God for you is very simple. Meaning this, God's will for your life is obvious and clear if you discern it. It's God's will for you to be holy. It's God's will for you to be set apart. It's God's will for you to display the fruitfulness of his Holy Spirit working out of your character. It's God's will for you to grow in love. It's God's will for you to be in Christian community. And the problem is we ignore what God has revealed trying to figure out what God wants. The first thing's first. What has God revealed to you? I want to make a statement to you that I want this to stick with you. One of the reasons that we do not discover God's will for our life is because we are not in God's presence. How can we hear the call of God if we're not in the presence of God? I'm gonna say that again. How can we hear the call of God if we're not in the presence of God? One of the more famous stories in the Old Testament is when Isaiah had a revelation of who God was. It's in Isaiah chapter six, and you may remember some of these words. He said, in this year, the the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and he began to describe what he saw. He saw the throne of God, and we learn a lot about seraphims and angels and what's going on around the throne of God. This is confirmed in the book of Revelation as God's word confirms God's word. So that's kind of the scene in these first seven verses. But then we pick up the narrative in verse eight. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Now, verse one through seven, if you go back and look at it later on this week, talks about the throne room of God and the presence of God. It's in the presence of God that you hear the voice of God. I know this is simple, but we forget this, don't we? We expect God to call us on our own terms. We expect God to call us at our own convenience. We expect God to call us when we're ready to listen. But in this particular passage, we find that Isaiah was in the presence of God and said, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send? Who shall go for us? We see the Trinity right there in that scripture. And I said, Isaiah, here I am, send me. He was in God's presence and he heard God's call. Do you know the enemy, Satan, would love for you to stay out of God's presence? Because if you're out of God's presence, then you won't hear his call anymore. Some have said that Isaiah was in the middle of God's presence and he overheard the call of God. I think the other scriptures today have let us understand through Bartimaeus that God's call is specific. But when you're in his presence, you'll begin to hear from him. And I want you to think about, are you exposing yourself to the presence of God? How are you exposing yourself to the presence of God? There's a big temptation at this point for me to begin to list all the programs we have here at the church. This would be a great time for me to do that. But you can make that list too. Because you know, I want you to attend church and small group and community service and all of that stuff. But I don't want that reality to overshadow what the Holy Spirit's saying right now. And this is what he's saying. 
Are you in an atmosphere where God's presence is known and available? The relationship, I, I like to spend time with people who know God. I, I like to spend time with people who know God. I like to be in environments like this where God's presence. Then as an individual, whether it's in your vehicle, at the hunting stand, which I've never gone hunting before, so I don't know what that means, but I hear some of you guys hear God in the hunting stand as you violently kill animals, but... I'm not against hunting. I actually, it's actually in my bucket list. I'm gonna learn to go hunt sometime after we get down the road a little bit. But when you're mowing the yard, or when you're in the carpool line waiting to pick up the kids, or whatever it is for you, are you exposing yourself to God's presence? Because in his presence, his call is made clear and his call is made known for Bartimaeus, it was a very distinct moment. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. I've got to cry out right now. For us, we have access to his presence when we mention his name and we think of him. Aren't we blessed? We're so blessed, aren't we? Girls, you have an unfair reputation. You have an unfair stereotype. Culture acts as if girls talk, 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 talk. I see, I've seen some commercials recently. I can't remember which company it was where it just shows these women talking, talking, talking and squealing and then all the glass shatters. Have y'all seen that? Pretty funny commercial. Reminded me of all your friends. You know, not you, just all your friends. Yeah. So there I, I went. I just supported the stereotype already. Here's my, here's my theory. Guys, we have an equally intense habit of talking too much especially when there needs to be a job that needs to be accomplished. Guys, we'll talk, analyze, and uh, dream about it verbally and not just pick up the tool and get the job done. Guys love to talk about dirt, not like soap opera dirt, but like moving dirt, building stuff. They love to talk about things that roll, like football and basketballs and baseball. They love to talk about tools Tractors, wrenches. Is this true, guys? Because these are things I don't talk about. I talk about like books and nerdy things, but I'm trying to relate to you here. So, so guys like to talk about stuff before they actually do it. I remember I was involved with a construction project. And of course, I didn't know anything about construction. So I'm relying on the expertise of others. And I remember one particular guy who was, he, he, he would talk and dream about construction all day long. He's like, we can knock out this wall and we can expand the building this way and I'm gonna talk to my vendors and I can cut some deals and I can, I can uh, make sure that we're ready to go and if we start this project nine months from now, it's gonna look this way and that way and right here's gonna be the tile and there's where the carpet starts and talk, 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 talk. He'd love to talk and dream over breakfast, over the phone, over te- all kinds of ways, talk, talk, talk. But there's only one problem. I would ask him a simple question. It's all I really cared about. I didn't care about the process. I just want to know, how much is this going to cost? How much is this project going to cost? I don't care if your uncle owns a hardware store. I don't care if you have the greatest deal here or there, if you have the greatest imagination. How much is the project going to cost? So he's like, oh, I'm not quite sure yet. Let me get back to you. Let me, let me go talk to my vendors. Give me till next Friday. Uh, let, let me... 
let, let me see if I could uh, make a deal with this guy or the other guy. Let me talk to my supervisor. The guy never gave a price. He was fun to talk to. I enjoyed talking to him. He was energetic, but he would never close the deal. So he never gave me an answer. And so you know what happened? The relationship ended. Because in that context, that was the nature of our relationship. It was around this particular project. And I was thinking about back when some of us were dating in high school. And for some of you, it was a it was the Kennedy administration or maybe the Nixon administration or Bill Clinton's administration. Any self-identifiers here? No, we could, we could take a poll here. And when you wanted a relationship to end, it was pretty simple. You just didn't call back as much and you became more delayed in returning a phone call. And then you called back less frequently, and then eventually you just didn't call back at all. If you never answered, if you never returned a phone call, or nowadays to bring it up to this millennium, if you never answered the text, eventually the relationship would end. Y'all remember those emotions? You remember that feeling? Either you did that to someone, or that was done to you. And it doesn't always have to be a romantic relationship. That happens even today. I mean, eventually, if you keep calling someone, they don't call you back, their relationship's over that relationship ends. What I love about our God is our God always calls us back. He always calls us back. Here's the last thing I want to say is Jesus answers us. He answers you. He hears you. He calls you. And then he answers you. Look at this passage, back to our passage for today. Verse 51. Then Jesus answered him. Isn't that beautiful? Aren't you glad we have a God who answers us? We're not relying on the mud balls and the idols. He answers us. What do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, the blind man told him, I want to see. Go your way, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he could see and begin to follow him on the road. Here's the last scripture I want to share with you today. Jeremiah 33, 3. If you ever needed to memorize a scripture, some have suggested this is God's phone number. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me. And I will answer you, tell you great and wondrous things you do not know. Why is it we don't call to God? We don't cry out to him. We hope God answers our prayers, but we don't cry out to him. We don't call out to him. And I want to be humble like Bartimaeus. I say, Jesus, have mercy on me because I know I serve a God who hears me. I know I serve a God who calls me in the middle of the crowd. And then that God gives me the answer. I'm so thankful for the Lord. An attitude of prayer. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. We thank you, Lord. This is a place for answers. It's so easy to bring up questions, you know. From the beginning, Satan has been causing people to question God. It takes little intellectual vigor to cause questions to arise, to question God. It's not wrong to question God because at the end of your road, ask and seek and you will find Jesus is right there. 
And you will find that Jesus said, and we find this in Revelation chapter 3, that he's standing at the door of your heart and he is knocking and by grace he's given you the choice to open up. Would you open up your heart right now? Open your heart to the presence of the Lord. There's an answer. There is an answer. God wants you to know there's an answer for you. You don't know how to create the breakthrough yourself. And there's a relational impasse for some of us here today. There's a relational impasse that you do not know how to heal this relationship that's broken. And the Lord is your healer. You can't engineer the healing. You can't arrange the circumstances of the healing. And so now we cry out to the Lord out of the depths of our soul, out of the depths of our heart. We cry out and we say, God, have mercy on us. I've messed up the relationship. I've messed up the finances, God. I've messed up the job. I've messed up the kids. Have mercy on us, God. I cry out. Jesus is not wanting you to stay in a perpetual place of punishment because Jesus, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. The spirit of the Lord is using this service and many other things in your life to just gently woo you back to him. He's calling you back to him because he is the healer and there's healing for you today. There's healing for you, not just today, but for the rest of the trajectory of your life, the rest of your days, the Lord has healing for you. So he's calling that out in you. He's calling that out. You think he's overlooked you. You think that he does not hear. You think even, even though intellectually you wouldn't admit to this, but you think that God is too busy and God's schedule is too tight. There's too many big problems in the world. Why would God care about your small problem? Why would God care about your relationship or your marriage or your finances or your dynamics? Because he's God and he made you with great detail. He made you very intricately. He didn't just make you physically. He made your emotional uh, makeup. Some of you need to know that you have been, listen closely, God's gonna set somebody free right now. You have been mad at God because he made you a certain way emotionally. And God wants you to know that it was his design and that he will use that. That which you have seen as a handicap will actually be your gift to the world, his gift to the world through you. Don't resent who God has made you. Don't resent that. In your weakness, you're gonna get stronger. In your weakness, he's gonna make you strong. The strength of the Lord is gonna come upon the weakness in your life. And God's spirit is speaking very specifically about that today. We're gonna have a time to allow God to move. We only have a few minutes scheduled together. So for those of you who are visiting, I'm gonna give a timely dismissal in just a few minutes. But one of the things that is important to us is that we don't just hear the word and then just rush out of here so we don't digest it. So we have available.